You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI podcast, your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a very popular subject. It's going to be on LLCs and entity structuring. Last week, we went through the Corporate Transparency Act, but today, we're actually going to be talking about LLCs and what makes sense from a tax perspective. Before we dive into LLCs, I just want to remind everybody that we are looking to grow the show. And if you do have ideas on how we can grow the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can send us an email at hello at taxsmartinvestors.com. We have over 250 episodes and counting, and over 115,000 monthly listeners. We're out on all podcast platforms. We're sharing on social media, and we will be doing more real soon. But what are we missing? What ideas are we not hitting on? Go ahead, send us an email. Let us know. Hello at taxmarninvestors.com. Having said that, let's go right into entities. Yeah, so I think that we wanted to talk about entities because we were at a real estate conference and everybody kept coming up to us asking about entity structuring. And this happens to us every time that we go to any sort of real estate conference. People always come up to us and like, can you help me understand my entity structure or can you help me structure my entities correctly? And sometimes you run into the people that have spent $30,000 on super insane entity structures. And they've got the offshore trusts. They've got the C Corporation Management Company. They've got five Wyoming LLCs. And, you know, like, I'm not saying there's not a place for that. <laughs> but I am saying that I believe in simplifying where we can simplify because the more complex you make it, the more administrative burden you have, which just means that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to forget about things. And that's what we see with our clients, too. You know, people that bring us these insane structures. It's just like, why do you need that for two rentals? I mean, I get it. You definitely want to protect yourself. But I think there are other ways to protect yourself rather than, you know, go all out on this entity structuring. Now, I'm not an attorney, so please don't take that as actual advice. Go speak to an attorney. Make sure that they walk you through all the risks. But understand that in business, there are risks that you hedge against and there are risks that you accept, right? And so you have to understand when you're going through this entity structuring phase what risks you're exposed to and what the likelihood of those risks occurring are. And you protect yourself against the high likelihood risks or the higher likelihood risks and the risks that could be existential, meaning that if it happens, you are dead in the water. You want to protect yourselves against those risks, but there are some risks that have a very low likelihood, uh, potentially are less of an economic outlay than other risks and could be pretty fringy risks. You might not need to protect yourself from that. Entity structuring might not help protect yourself from those risks. Simply providing great customer service, making sure that your properties are well taken care of and like operating a solid business would protect you from those fringe risks. So the point is, you know, I, I wanted to like start this off. We're going to talk about the tax piece here in a second, but I just wanted to start this off by saying if you're going through the process of building your entity structure, get multiple opinions from multiple attorneys on what should my structure be? What should this look like? What risks does this structure, this complicated structure protect me from that this simple structure does not? 
identify those risks and decide if it's worth protecting, not only worth your money today, but also worth the annual upkeep, the annual filings, tax filings, regulatory filings, state filings, the annual fees that you have to pay, the annual administrative work, running a separate you know, EIN, bank account, all that type of stuff. Like the more that you add, the more that you have to manage. Is that worth your time? It may not be. I don't know. No one size fits all approach. I mean, we had two different attorneys do master classes for the tax market insiders group from two different sides of the real estate world, right? I don't, I don't even think one of them is a real estate attorney, but what they basically said was this. First things first, there is no one size fits all approach. There is a spectrum and it's then your needs are going to be dependent on your individual situation. One person, investor A, might have a lot of assets, right, that they need to protect and their entity structure may need to be more complex, perhaps, to protect those other assets, whereas another investor may not have as many, or you might run a business that's high. There's, there could be all these different factors, all right? So don't take any one approach as the approach that you necessarily need to follow. Like Brand said, speak to multiple people and get their advice and then make a decision based on your risk tolerance and how complex you want to make your life. Having said all of that, today we're going to be talking about the tax aspects of entity structures and just some general guidelines that you want to follow and make sure you don't end up in a tax situation that you don't want to be in because you chose the wrong entity structure. Okay. So first things first, right? If you're a landlord, you're not going to want to put rental properties in S corporation. And there's yeah. two reasons for that. Two reasons, at least two. Okay. The two most important ones are removing a property from an S corporation can trigger a taxable event. It's basically selling a property to a third party. And that's true. Even if you own a hundred percent of the S corporation, even if you own a hundred percent of the other entity that you're transferring it to, it can cause a taxable event if you have a property that's highly appreciated. And I've seen this before with my own eyes multiple times. One person had like a million dollar gain they were going to have to pay taxes on because they need to remove an, a property from the S corporation because the bank would not finance it within the S corporation because there's other assets in that S corporation, right? So in that case, that was a painful experience. So that's the first reason why you don't want to put properties in S corp. And I just want to comment on that. It's not like sometimes when we go through the consulting piece with clients on this, clients will go, well, it's not that big of a deal, right? I mean, I can just move it out of the S Corp. We can say that I sold it to myself at cost or for $0, but it doesn't work that way, right? If you right. were to be audited, the IRS would require a fair market appraisal. You would have to have some documentary evidence that shows how you arrived at the sales price that you booked this distribution of property at. And when you start thinking about it like that, especially over the past few years of appreciation that real estate investors have enjoyed, you start sweating it a little bit. So so any sort of distribution of property from an S corporation is going to be a taxable sale. And it's not as simple as just saying, well, you know, my, just, I got my accountant to just give it to me at cost or even at $0, like my accountant rocks. You guys don't know what you're talking about. It's like, well, you get audited and you lose, you go to tax court. Tax court's going to tell you, you are stuck with the form that you decided to build, right? So you decided to run an S corporation, you are stuck with those rules and they're not lenient on this right. type of stuff. So very important first point there. Any sort of distribution is a taxable sale. Right. Any right. And distribution look, of property. And there, there's a lot of reasons why you may need to remove a property from an S corporation. There could be financing, like I just mentioned, that was one case. There could be estate planning purposes. There could be just general asset protection purposes. And there's a lot of reasons why it could happen. So like Stephen Covey says, start with the end in mind and just realize that any of these things could happen over your investing journey. 
And that's one reason why you don't want to use an S corporation. There's another reason, and that has to do with basis issues, right? So um, there's something called qualified non-recourse financing. Basically, what happens is uh, qualified non-recourse financing can give you basis in other entities, and that basis can allow you to take distributions or losses, rather, excuse me, in excess of the capital that you contributed, basically. So what I'm trying to say is that Basically, say you put 50K into an entity, right? But you have 80K of losses. Well, Q&R, if you had a partnership, for example, we'll get more into this in a little bit, can give you enough basis to take those losses out of the partnership and use them on your personal tax return. But not the case with S-corporations. So yeah, S-corporations, you can only take distributions and losses up to the amount of the basis that you have, which is in effect, not always the case, but in effect, the amount that you contributed to the S-corporation. Right. There's some minor adjustments, but it's not like partnerships. And for that reason, that could trip you up. Now, having said that, I don't want to scare anybody like, oh, my God, I have a property in S corporation. I'm doomed. Okay, it's not the end of the world. You can continue to operate the property in S corporation, but you probably do not want to put more properties in that S corporation and moving forward. And, And even having said that, you might want to touch base with your tax professional just to have a conversation of what your plans are for that property, because it might, and this is an asterisk here, it might make sense to remove it now sooner rather than later, but maybe not. So that's why you need to talk to your tax professional about that if that's your case. All right. So moving right along here. When is an S corporation appropriate for real estate investors, right? That's the next question, because sometimes it is an appropriate entity. And it's typically going to be an appropriate entity when you are in a real property trader business, for example, that generates active income. And that can include flipping properties. So you're a fix and flipper. It can include maybe you're a developer, maybe you're a wholesaler, maybe you're a real estate agent, maybe you're a consultant. The list goes on and on. But if you're in an active trader business, S corporations can help you mitigate the self-employment tax by paying yourself a salary and taking the rest out as profits. And those profits will not be subject to that self-employment tax. However, that's not the case with most rental properties. So don't put rental properties in S corporation. <laughs> but like on the self-employment tax piece, what if I just pay myself a salary of $0 and I pay $0 in self-employment taxes? You know, that's a great question. You have to pay yourself when you have an S corporation a reasonable salary for the work that you're performing for the business. And reasonable salary can be determined in a number of ways. One of them could be using like BLS labor statistics to come up with a reasonable salary based on what you're working on. It could be looking at a glass door or something along those lines to find out what your role is and what the markets could be paying. That could be another way. But the bottom line is there, you have to figure out a salary that's reasonable. You can't make it zero. You can't make it like 20K. If you're like doing like 900K in like flipping income, pay yourself 20K when you're the main person making it go, probably not going to fly. Okay. So that's what happens. You can't make it zero. Can't make it zero. And the IRS has actually identified that S corporations where their officers are being paid $0, those are now audit targets. So if you're running an S corporation and you are paying yourself $0, but you're making profits and making distributions to yourself, You should definitely figure that out. And just to tell you what we do at our firm, if a client comes in and they have an S corporation where they're running an operating business, not rentals, right? We want to get those away from the S corps, but running an operating business, we actually have this whole analysis that we do that includes that Bureau of Labor Statistics lookup. But we, we basically figure out what are the roles that you're doing in the business from, you know, administrative scheduling type roles and handling emails all the way up to the CEO, high level strategic type role. So we try to break that down, use the Bureau of Labor Statistics to give us a an output that should be your salary. It's much more complicated than I just 
explained. However, my point of sharing this with you is that it's not as simple as just saying, well, a tax accountant, I just looked it up on salary.com. They make 80K a year. So that's what I'll be. I'll be, I'll make, I'll pay myself $80,000 a year. It's not as simple as that. And that's not going to be enough support if you ever get audited and if the IRS challenges you. And the IRS has a vested interest in increasing your salary as much as possible because as they increase your salary, they also increase the self-employment taxes that they get to collect from you. So you need to make sure that you run an actual salary analysis with real data that you can substantiate in the event that you are audited. Right. A hundred percent important stuff. So that's when you'd want to use an S corporation and when you would not want to use an S corporation in, in the context of real estate. Hey, real quick, if you're a longtime listener of the show, then you know we give all of our tax secrets away for free, from how to use the real estate professional status and short-term rental loophole to save thousands of dollars in taxes, and just about everything in between, we don't hold anything back. And that's because our goal is to help as many real estate investors as possible reduce taxes and build tax advantage wealth, regardless of budget. And the only way we're able to help more real estate investors is if you can rate, review, and share the podcast. If you could take that one small action, just drop us a review. It'll take like 10 seconds. It will help more real estate investors become tax smart. We appreciate your support. And now back to the show. Now, moving right along, what about LLCs, right? So if S corporations aren't the best entity for your rental properties, well, what is appropriate? Well, at least as far as taxes are concerned, if you're going to be the sole owner of the property, meaning you're going to be the, the one and only owner, then most likely a single member LLC taxed as a disregarded entity, which means you don't have a separate tax return. It gets reported right on your 1040. That's going to be the most appropriate entity for you, at least as far as taxes are concerned. Yeah. You actually have on our agenda here, explain the tax implications. So explain the tax implications. Of a single member LLC, there virtually are none, right? A basically- Pretty simple it, explanation. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's reported on your tax return for tax purposes as if the LLC did not exist. And that makes the LLC primarily then for asset protection purposes. And it's something that, of course, you want to, again, like we mentioned before, speak to an attorney about, make sure you're comfortable with how those work and also how to maintain those. And we went through that on last week's episode where we talked about the Corporate Transparency Act, something new that you definitely want to be aware of. So yeah, single member LLCs, like Tom said, are disregarded for tax purposes. So there's no benefit to using a single member LLC. It's not going to help you deduct more. You can deduct business expenses with or without a single member LLC. Very critical point that all of the influencers on TikTok tend to leave out because everybody wants to have an LLC, right? We were talking about this so at the conference. It, everybody wants to have one because they want to feel like they want to feel like they're a business owner, right? And so setting up an LLC that takes 20 minutes to set up and register yeah. makes you feel like you're making progress. I also realized there's something about looking at that entity structure, right? just looking at the complex entity structure and being like, hmm, I'm sophisticated, right? Like, ah, uh, yeah. Like you ever see, you ever Interesting. see one confirmation bias? Is that a bias? Yeah. I'm a sophisticated investor because I've overcomplicated my PDF with all of my entities is full. So I must be good at this. Right. There is something about that. And I see it in people's eyes. Sometimes they light up like, it's so sexy. But that's what they're preying on. That's what. TikTok influencers are preying on. Yeah. And, and just some more quick questions while we're here, because I got the as early as today, you know, as, as recently as today, rather. Okay. Do you need an LLC to qualify as a real estate professional? No. Can you pay your children if you don't have an LLC? Yes. Um, <laughs> there's so much little questions. Like you don't need an LLC to do business. You can operate as a sole proprietor and do most things. Okay. But the LLC is- Can I deduct for- the cost of my haircut if I have an LLC? 
No, I'm pretty sure you can't deduct the cost of things you wear. Like you can't deduct clothes either. Like I looked right. this up. People are trying to make an argument. I need my Rolex watch for my YouTube videos and my TikTok videos. And the IRS is relatively clear that clothes that you can wear on an everyday basis are not tax deductible. And like, right. there's very specific, very it's like- very clear, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there is no room for interpretation. So just yeah. want to let everybody know out there, if you're someone's telling you that there is room for interpretation- they're selling you a crock of crap, man. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's another way to put it. If your accountant's out there deducting your personal clothes and your your watches and your haircuts and your sunglasses, dude, you are setting yourself up for a reckoning with an IRS auditor. So I don't care what they say. You got to ask for support. Tell me what tax court cases give you authority in my district, mind you, give you authority to take this position there. And you don't, we're not going to get into the levels of authority, but the point is, is that make them prove it. I'd love to be proven wrong on that. So if you have that authority, please send it our way. Yeah. We'd love to see it. We'd love to see yeah. it. All right. The bottom line there is that if you're the single owner, a single member LLC, tax is a disregard entity, probably the most appropriate entity for you from at least a tax perspective when it comes to rental real estate. All right. Now, what if you have partners? What if you have multiple owners of LLCs or multiple owners of that property? Then what? Well, in that case, you're going to look at a multi-member LLC that is taxed as a partnership. And that's most likely going to be the appropriate entity structure for you. There's some cases where you might not need an entity structure and you prefer to operate as a tick, a tenants in common, where two people own the property but aren't necessarily in an entity. But that's not what we're talking about here today. We're talking about entities. So LLCs tax as a partnership. And I'll give you some brief overview of how this works, right? Some tax implications of that. First things first, you're going to have a separate tax return when you have a multi-member LLC tax as a partnership. That's a form 1065 that is due on March 15th, unless you extend, which is perfectly normal, and you can extend to September 15th. That's first things first. You're going to have a separate tax return. Next thing is you're going to need an operating agreement. In that operating agreement, well, you don't necessarily need one. I'm pretty sure you don't need one. Well, I mean... You can technically go handshake, but that's a terrible, right? A terrible. To get an operating agreement. And even with a single member LLC, you should have an operating agreement as well. So right. if you have an LLC, you need to pay an attorney to draft an operating agreement for you. Right. No right. And within that operating agreement, there's going to be tax provisions. And you're going to need to make sure you understand those tax provisions and how they work. Because you know we've seen plenty of operating agreements where the tax provisions, tax section, did not match what the investor thought that they were were getting. So, you know, in many cases, it can be as very simple as we're splitting everything 50-50 or 25-25-25, however, you know, by ownership percentage, whatever, but it can get infinitely more complex. So just be aware of that. Now, the good thing though about partnerships, unlike S corporations, is there's a lot of flexibility in how you can put assets into it, remove assets from it, allocate different things. So there's a tremendous degree of flexibility there. But just note that when you do have that multi-member LLC taxes a partnership, there is a tax return that needs to be filed. There's an operating agreement that needs to be adhered to and reviewed. And one more thing on there, I know people are going to ask, well, what if my LLC is with my husband or my wife, my spouse? What then? Do we still need to file a partnership tax return? The answer is in generally yes, unless you're in community property states. Community property states, you generally don't have to file a partnership tax return if the LLC is a husband and wife partnership. but Which is uh, often a shock to married individuals because they aren't really like expecting the additional compliance fees, right? I mean, you're looking at an additional $2,500 to $3,500 tax return that you have to now pay for. So that 
just by setting up a partnership with your spouse if you're not in a community property state. So when the point is, again, when you go through this entity structuring process, you need to make sure that you understand how that complexity translates in terms of additional dollars that you have to spend for compliance and additional time that you have to spend to make sure that it's all in compliance and it's not insignificant. Right, right. So that's why you don't want to overdo it with entities because you could easily rack up a lot of money in tax return fees that may not be necessary in tax compliance fees that you may not need to do. The one last thing that I want to say on uh, partnership tax or, or partnerships before we move on is just that in my experience, when people form partnerships with their spouse or with friends or even large partnerships, they're syndicating deals and they're raising equity from hundreds of people. When people don't pay attention to what goes into that operating agreement, it creates a lot of pain later because partnership tax law is one of the most complex pieces of tax law. And you don't have to worry about partnership tax law if you're running the single member LLC. Well, I mean, technically, but when you start bringing on partners, whether it's your spouse or not, you're contributing capital, you're contributing property, you're making distributions, you've got an operating agreement that has special allocations and, and waterfall provisions and all sorts of stuff. You need to make sure that one, you draft that operating agreement in collaboration with your attorney and with your accountant. Okay. Not just with your attorney and not just with your accountant, with both of them, attorney and accountant in collaboration. And you need to make sure that when that tax return is prepared and sent over to you, that the allocations made per partner follow what's in the operating agreement. We've seen many mistakes where the operating agreement's not followed. And typically that will come because somebody will say, well, that's not what I intended. So just do it this way. And sometimes accountants will follow that instruction, even though they should not, because technically we have to look at the operating agreement. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what was signed. And we can amend those operating agreements, but that's embarrassing, especially if you have you know, a larger partnership. You got to go back to all your investors and say, oops, we messed up the tax allocations. Can you please re-sign this restated operating agreement, which makes everybody uneasy? So the solution is get your accountant and attorney working together on the operating agreement build out before you take money, before you sign that operating agreement, create the partnership. Right, right. And that's something we help people do through our advisory services, whether you're coming on as an individual or you're coming on as a syndicate or fund, we help you structure and review operating agreements, make sure they're appropriate from a tax perspective. So that's something you're interested in. We are accepting clients and you can request an initial consultation at www.therealestatecpa.com slash become a client, or just by clicking on that big get started button on that front page. We love to see how we can help. Having said all that, that concludes our episode for today on LLCs. If you do have questions, again, you can join the Tax Smart Investors community. Go to www.taxsmartinvestors.com slash Facebook. That's our free Facebook group. Or you could join us at Tax Smart Insiders, www.taxsmartinvestors.com slash insiders. And one of our team members will get back to you on an answer to your questions. And that's all for today. We'll catch you on the next episode of TaxSmart REI. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. 
To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.